Anyway, we're going to look at something very interesting tonight, Judas, the betrayal of Christ. In the previous section, for those of you who were not asleep the last time I preached, (laughs) Jesus washed his disciples' feet. For those of you who were asleep, you went home and washed your hands. You need to pay attention. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus washed his disciples' feet which symbolized our humble love and service towards one another. And it also symbolized daily cleansing of our sin after our initial salvation. See, after we become Christians, we're clean, we're saved. But God needs to do a work in us. And as we walk in this world, our feet, symbolically of our our person gets defiled by the world of, with sin. And God, every day, cleanses us from our sin. And aren't you glad he does? And now in this section today, which we're going to look at, he tells them that they're all spiritually clean, the 11. But there was one that was not clean, and that was, of course, Judas Iscariot. Judas was controlled by Satan. And he's getting ready to betray the greatest love he would ever know. He was getting ready to betray his only hope of salvation. He was going to betray God Almighty. But his betrayal against the Son of God would never thwart the plan of God to nail Jesus to the cross because it was actually God's plan, not Satan's. And before we stick our noses in the air and say, I would never do that. I would never betray the Son of God. Every one of us has betrayed Jesus in some way. Every one of us. But be encouraged. The true Christian repents and is forgiven. And we will see that God can take a grievous sin, like betrayal, and use it for his purpose and to glorify himself. Let's turn to John chapter 13. Verses 18 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. In other words, he kicked me when I was down. I am telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place... You may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel... Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. 
Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to open our hearts today as we hear your word. Cleanse us and change us to be more like your eternal son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. The Revolutionary War, also known as the American War of Independence and the Revolutionary War in the United States, was the armed conflict between, between Great Britain and the 13 of its northern or North American colonies, which had declared themselves the independent United States of America. During the war, there was a major general named Benedict Arnold. How many of you remember Benedict Arnold? who was an early American hero of the Revolutionary War, who later became one of the most infamous traitors in U.S. history after he switched sides and fought for the British. At the outbreak of the war, Arnold participated in the capture of the British garrison, Fort Ticonderoga, in 1775. In 1776, he hindered a British invasion of New York at the Battle of Lake Champlain. The following year, he played a crucial role in bringing about the surrender of British General John Burgon's army at Saratoga. Yet, Arnold never received the recognition he thought he deserved. In 1779, he entered into secret negotiations with the British, agreeing to turn over the U.S. post at West Point in return for money and a command in the British Army. The plot was discovered, but Arnold escaped to the British lines. His name has since become synonymous with the word traitor. Whenever you and I hear the word traitor, we probably think immediately of who? Benedict Arnold or Judas Iscariot. Benedict Arnold's betrayal of his own countrymen was as bad as it gets. However, as bad as that was, there was something eternally worse, the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Every one of us has been betrayed I'm sure we have stories here about uh, someone who has betrayed us, or maybe we betrayed someone. But to betray Jesus is in a different category altogether. One would naturally think that nothing but pain and sorrow would be the result of the betrayal of Christ. But here's what I want to ask you. Can even the betrayal of Christ fulfill God's purpose and bring him glory. Now theoretically we know the answer. Yes, of course. But do we really believe it when it comes to our own Christian lives being betrayed by those who we thought were true Christians, maybe Christians in the church or Christian leaders in the church? How many so-called Christians' faith was shipwrecked because some false hypocritical leader in the church was exposed? The three points we're going to look at today. The betrayer predicted, the betrayer revealed, and the betrayer addressed. Let's look at point one, the betrayer predicted. And you and I, we need to understand that the scripture tells us that there will be betrayers of the gospel. It should never surprise us. Verse 18 to 20 again. I am not speaking to all of you. 
I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you now this before this happens, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus chose how many apostles? Twelve. But not all were chosen for salvation, and that's why he said, I am not speaking to all of you. Only 11 of them were chosen or elected for salvation. And that's why he says back in verse 11, you are all clean, but not every one of you. So the natural question is, why then did Jesus choose Judas as an apostle, but he wasn't chosen for salvation? That's a question that would naturally arise in our minds. Why would he choose someone who would betray him? First, we must understand that Jesus was not thrown off God by Judas's betrayal. Not by any stretch of the imagination. His choice of Judas was no mistake. And it was deliberate. Even though Judas wasn't chosen for salvation. He was chosen as an apostle. So that the scripture would be fulfilled. Leon Morris, he's an Australian uh, New Testament scholar, says this. He was not deceived. He was not the deceived and helpless victim of unsuspected treachery. But once sent by God to effect God's purpose going forward calmly and unafraid to do what God had planned for him to do. Yes, even the betrayal of Christ, one of his own chosen apostles, was foreordained by God. And that's what we believe here. We believe in the sovereignty of God. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians have problems with the sovereignty of God. Christians believe in the sovereignty of God, but sometimes they, they have a problem to understanding how the sovereignty of God works, that God is actually in control of everything, not just some things, even man's salvation. Peter, when he was waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the 120 in the upper room, and they were choosing an apostle to replace Judas, if you remember, said this about Judas in Acts 1.16. He said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested him. Judas became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, who crucified and killed him. That also was planned by God. Listen to Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up, listen, according to what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now again, Judas' betrayal was foreordained and used by God for his purposes. That doesn't make Judas not responsible. He was still responsible for what he did, and God ordained it for his purposes. And as I said the last time I spoke, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty runs parallel in the Bible. And you can't reconcile the two, but it teaches both. The scripture, hundreds of years before Christ's betrayal, said this would happen. And Jesus, in his omniscience, knew this. And when Jesus was betrayed, guess what? The scripture was fulfilled. And Jesus quotes Psalm 41, 
9 in the text we wrote, a psalm of David, which pointed to his own betrayal. David also understood the betrayal of close friends. One of his close friends and his counselor, Athiphanel, and his own son, Absalom, who wanted to take his throne. This pained David's heart greatly. So David, if you read the Psalms, you see how David was pained by the betrayal of friends and even his own son. But David's pain paled next to Christ's pain and suffering. The Old Testament and the New Testament tells us that there will be enemies of righteousness. For example, Jeremiah, who was impatient because the wicked were prospering and wanted judgment to come. The Lord, in essence, told him, hey, hey, Jeremiah, listen, if you can't deal with this, what's going to happen to you when it gets worse? And the Lord tells him in chapter 12, verse 6, he says, For even your brothers and your household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried out aloud after you. Do not believe them altogether, although they may say nice things to you. His own family betrayed him. Jeremiah's own family betrayed him. Paul was betrayed in 2 Timothy. Phygelus and Hermogenes, who deserted Paul in Asia. And Paul was constantly betrayed by his own countrymen before Gentiles and kings and leaders. Jesus said, Christians, we would be betrayed. In Matthew 8, uh, 10, 36, he says, And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. So betrayal is nothing new. It has always been present since the time of the fall in the garden. Adam betrayed his own wife. His own wife. He threw his own wife under the bus. Genesis 3.12. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. He threw his own wife under the bus. I'm glad that wasn't me. Because I'll be in trouble. Should we expect betrayal in our day? Should the Christian expect betrayal? And I think so. Now, we don't go around looking for a betrayer under every bush. That would be ludicrous. However, we are not to be naive. There are enemies of the cross. Yeah, even in the church. Most new Christians are naive. I remember when I was a new Christian, I was naive. I, you know, thinking that everyone who says I'm a believer of Jesus Christ is a genuine, genuine follower of him. But we need to be careful and discerning. The church needs to be discerning about these things. Back in our text, Jesus gives them a reason why he told them about the betrayal of Judas. And the reason he told them was, number one, for belief. Verse 19 again. He says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that what? I am he. So one of the reasons he told them, so they could have a firm foundation for their belief. The original Greek does not have the word he. Okay, so in other words, he's saying this. When it does take place, you may believe that I am. This is a claim to deity. Jesus wants his disciples to know 
and to believe that he is God incarnate and that all his claims are true. He wanted them to know so when it does happen, their faith would not crumble. He wanted them to know that he was the object of their faith, not man. Over the years, we have seen world-renowned Christian leaders crumble because of some sin. As a result, we've also seen so many people who followed their ministries, their faith crumbled. Why? Why would that happen? Because the object of their faith was in a fragile, weak, sinful man. Christ tells these things in scriptures, not only for his disciples back then, these things were written for us too. When betrayal comes, and it will, we will keep believing, proving that we are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. He wants our faith to grow when these things happen, not weaken. And over the years, I've seen many Christians, so-called Christians, their faith just crumbled because a leader fell. When the apostles were beaten for preaching the gospel and then let go, you can read that in Acts 5, they came back rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. See, their, their faith got stronger. When things happened, when trials and tribulations and betrayals and traitors were in the church, they didn't crumble. And so this must, must not be true. Their faith actually got stronger. And Jesus also wanted his apostles not only to believe him, but wanted to re- reassure them of their mission. Verse 20 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And two things we need to consider when we read this verse. Number one is when Judas betrays Jesus, the disciples may think that Judas being one of them may have a very negative effect on the mission Jesus was sending them on. And number two, they should expect to be rejected and betrayed as their master was. We should not think it strange if we're betrayed. When the disciples were sent on their gospel preaching mission, the way Jesus was rejected or received would actually happen to them. If they received them and their message, it was as if they received God the Father and God the Son. And when the apostles experienced Jesus' betrayal and his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead and then were filled with the Holy Spirit, they knew with certainty that what Jesus did and said was the absolute truth and nothing was going to foil their mission. Nothing. And guess what? Their mission is still going on today, 2,000 years later, through the Christian church. Nothing can thwart the plan of God. Even a horrific betrayal of Judas is carrying. People today are still receiving the message of the glorious gospel and receiving God the Father and God the Son as a result. Judas's betrayal didn't stop God's perfect plan of redemption, but was used to fulfill his plan of redemption. And God is telling us today, through the pages of Scripture, that the enemies, the betrayers of Christ and his gospel will affect us. There will be those who look and sound like the real deal, but are hypocrites in their hearts. And long before, they will manifest a betrayal of Christ. And we should not take it personal. They are ultimately betraying God. The idea then is, in our, our first point is, we need to be well prepared and not naive. They will be traitors, Benedict Arnold's of the gospel. The, the scripture 
is perfectly clear on this. So the betrayer was predicted. But not only predicted, the betrayer was revealed. God will eventually expose betrayers of the gospel in the church. I wonder if this point, when Jesus was telling them that, well, let me read verses 21 to 26a again. First half of 26. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was, bespeak, whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And I was wondering, how was Jesus' face? I mean, what, was it troubled? Was his voice trembling um, at the thought that one of his close associates, one of his close friends, one of the apostles was going to betray him? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us the drama. It doesn't show us the drama. It doesn't show us the emotion. But we could assume that Jesus was emotionally disturbed. He says, it says he was troubled in his spirit. Now, trouble comes from the Greek word terasso, which is a strong word used figuratively to speak of mental illness or severe mental or spiritual turmoil. It is the same word that used when the disciples had terror, when they saw Jesus walking on the water, when Zacharias feared, when the angel Gabriel appeared to him in the temple, the disciples fear when Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection, the deep anguish of Jesus' soul at Lazarus' tomb, and the distress at the thought of facing the cross. That's the kind of turmoil Jesus had in his heart, in his mind. Jesus was deeply troubled. Troubled at what? At the betrayal? Yes. Troubled at his love for Judas that was rejected? Yes. Troubled at Satan ready to possess Judas? Yes. Troubled at Judas's destiny? Hell? Yes. Troubled at Judas's betrayal leading him to the cross? Troubled at the thought of a friend would betray him? Yes, this troubled Jesus. It's bad enough to be hated by enemies, but to be betrayed by a friend or someone you love is so troubling that it causes mental anguish. Many years ago, I would start work early when I worked in New Jersey. And I was the first one there on Monday mornings. So my supervisor gave me the key to open the building. And I had two friends, at least I thought there were two friends, that I wasn't aware of, that were jealous that I had the key to open up. And one day at a meeting that I was not at, they complained to the supervisor about me. They made up lies about me, saying something like, he opens the door, he comes in, and he doesn't work, which was an outright lie. And when I found out, I was deeply troubled. I was betrayed by friends. That I never had a crossword with them. I was always kind to them. I was betrayed. However, at that meeting, there was another gentleman, a true friend, who was listening, and when the supervisor asked him about their accusations about me, he said, 
I don't know what they're talking about. When I come in on Monday morning, John Verdi has a scan and he's working. And even though I was vindicated, my, my boss never accused me. I know he knew my work ethics, so he wasn't going to accuse me. He probably knew that they were trying to get one over on him. But even though I was vindicated, it still hurt that these two friends betrayed me for their own gain. Jesus was troubled, and with a serious tone makes this solemn announcement, one of you will betray me. Now I think we need to pause and to enter the drama and emotion of the scene. They're all in the upper room, and the disciples are probably still trying to understand why Jesus said he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. I mean, that alone threw them way off. Were their hopes about Jesus being Israel's long-awaited Messiah and deliverer from the Roman oppression, were they wrong about that all along, that Jesus is now going to suffer and die at the hands of sinful men? I mean, we saw him heal the sick, we saw him raise the dead, we saw him preach with power. They must have been saying, what is going on here? And now he shocks them again, one of you will betray me. The disciples were, at this point, you could read between the lines, They were astounded. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of Mark tells us in 419, they began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? Is it I, Jesus? All the apostles, with the exception of Judas, deeply loved Jesus. They deeply loved him. With that statement, Jesus just made, they must have thought, is it possible that I will betray the one I love? One commentator says, with the exception of Judas, the disciples genuinely believed in Jesus and were incredulous when informed of one of them was a traitor. Their question was genuine, both in self-doubt and the sincere affection of Christ for that it expressed. Perhaps having just been rebuked by the Lord for their pride, they were sensitized to the potential wickedness in their own hearts. See, they knew they had wicked hearts, and that's why they were probably saying, is it I? Could I betray the one I love? They also, this also must have brought suspicion to the mind of each one of the disciples of each other. In other words, they probably began to suspect, you know, uh, suspect one another. So don't look at your neighbor and suspect you know, that they're going to betray you. They still, at this point, didn't know it was Judas. Still didn't know it. Up to this point, Judas covered up his hypocrisy very well. Both Judas and John were reclining next to Jesus. And since Jesus was reclining at the table at Jesus' side, he was close to Jesus. So Peter signaled him to ask Jesus who he was speaking about. Now reclining, it's it's important we know these things. Reclining is in custom in ancient times. A guest would recline to a couch, leaning on their left elbow while, while leaving their right hand free to dip food from a common dish. The guest on each couch reclined in such a way that each rested his head near the breast of the one behind them. Evening meal was important because it was time for the family and friends to come together in fellowship. Reclining was an essential part of the meal. It required slowing down and resting and focused on relationships of those sharing the couch. We need maybe to have that reinstated here because families today, are just they, they don't know when to stop and come together and, 
and, and have deep fellowship. But the famous painting, The Last Supper, Leonardo da Vinci, was not an accurate picture of reclining. It's a good picture, it's a beautiful picture, it's a famous picture, but it's not an accurate picture of reclining. This is more accurate. See the way they're reclining? Okay, but this is even more accurate. That's the way they did it back then in that culture. Kent Hughes, Dr. Kent Hughes tells us that the seating arrangement from left to right was Judas, Jesus, and John. Jesus' head was at Judas' breast as they reclined together. John's head was at Jesus' breast. He goes on to say that Jesus had given Judas the left-hand side, the place of honor. You see, Judas was very close to Jesus. And what a deep contrast. John had this deep love for Jesus on one side, and Judas, who had a deep hatred for Jesus on the other side. Love and hate in Christ right in the middle. Dr. Kenneth Gengal says, We cannot identify Christ elect by outward appearances. Every person who seems to be close to the Lord may be lost. So John was signaled by Peter to ask Jesus who it was to betray him. By the way, I love this, John identifies himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Now, I always loved that saying, and I always understood that in my own mind. I said, John was very confident that Jesus loved him. John and Jesus were best friends. Now, Jesus had his 12 apostles. Then he had the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. But his best friend was John. And if you remember, Jesus entrusted John with the care of his mother when he hung on the cross. He gave John the vision of the transfiguration. He allowed John to witness his most amazing miracles and later gave John the book of Revelation. And I believe John was very confident in the fact that the Savior loved him. I don't believe that John said this out of arrogance, but out of the confident, love-filled heart he had for the Savior. And he understood that Christ, the reason why he loved him was because Christ first loved him. Listen, when a person has his heart filled by Christ's love by the Spirit, Romans 5, 5, he or she can be confident that they are the ones whom Jesus loved. You and I can say the same thing that John says, the one whom Jesus loved. So Peter gave the signal to ask Jesus who it was that would betray Jesus. And John, leaning back, as you can see over there, he probably leaned back, and, and turning his head said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus tells him, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. Now more than likely, only John heard what Jesus said. More than likely, the the, the rest of the disciples did not hear what Jesus said. But Jesus revealed the betrayer. His sin and his hypocrisy was exposed. Listen, there's always going to be hypocrites in the church. Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. The point of that parable was we can't always tell the true disciples of Christ from the false hypocritical ones. But at the end of the age, at the end of the age, Jesus will divide and separate the true from the false. Also, sin always gets exposed sooner 
or later. Since I became a Christian in 1977-1978 time period, many ministers I've seen who are national and sometimes worldwide sin secretly, but God exposed them publicly. As the scripture says, your sin will find you out. And it found out Judas. We should never think that God will never expose our secret sin. However, even with the most heinous sin, God offers grace and mercy and his loving kindness, which leads to repentance. And that's what I believe is one of the things going on in our next point. The betrayer addressed by Jesus. He was predicted. He was revealed. And now he's addressed. God shows kindness even to an enemy of Christ to the bitter end. Let's read verses, the second half of 26 to 30. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, went, he, went, he immediately went out, and it was night. So he gave a morsel of bread to Judas. He didn't shout out, Judas, you're the one who's going to betray me. You're a traitor. No, he gave him a piece of bread. Now why is that significant? It is significant because God shows kindness even to the enemies of Christ to the bitter end, as I said before. Some believe that when Jesus offered the piece of bread to Judas, it was the final opportunity for him to repent. Now in that culture at that time, taking a morsel of bread from the table and dipping it into the common dish and offering it to someone was a gesture, not of just friendship, but of special friendship. He was giving Judas, hear this, he was giving Judas a special place of honor. You tell me that Christ doesn't go to the bitter end to save someone. He does. Edward Blum writes, Giving the morsel to Judas was an uncourt sign of a recognition to John. But it was also the Lord's final extension of grace to Judas. Hosts giving a morsel of bread to a guest was a sign of friendship. How ironic that Jesus' act of friendship to Judas signaled Judas' betrayal of friendship. He showed him love and kindness to the very end. And that's the patience and mercy and love of our Lord. But at the moment, Judas took that piece of bread, not out of gratitude, it was not out of gratitude, but to continue his betrayal plan, the Bible says Satan entered him. It's a sad part of scripture that Satan entered Judas. It doesn't say a demon entered him. Satan himself, the chief prince, entered Satan. I mean, entered Judas. That is amazing. Judas surrendered not to the love of Christ, but to the powers of darkness. Judas shut the door of salvation forever. Listen, there's a point when a person can cross the line and be shut out of God's eternal kingdom forever. We don't know that. We should never presume to know that. But there is a point where someone will cross that line. 
In Matthew 26, 24, Jesus tells them, The Son of Man goes as it is written, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. When a person who never professed Christ as Lord and Savior, who never followed Christ, gets sick and suffers, I cringe, I absolutely cringe when I hear people, especially Christians, say, well, he or she is not suffering anymore. If they weren't in Christ, and hear me, their suffering is just beginning. I'd rather see a person suffer for a year and people giving him the gospel and have a chance to come to faith in Christ than to see a person die because they're not out of their misery. Their misery is just beginning. It would have been better if they were not born, if they go into eternity without Christ. Once Judas shut the door, Jesus tells them in the hearing of them all, what you are going to do, get it over with. Jesus was still in full control and full submission to the Father's will. Jesus said concerning his own life in John 10, 18, he said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Satan, Judas, the chief priests, the Pharisees, and all the enemies of Christ are just pawns in the hands of Almighty God. And I would suggest to you today, the enemies of Christ in our own country and the rest of the world are pawns in the hands of Almighty God. We worry, we worry, we worry about ISIS, we worry about the election, we worry about Clinton, we worry about Trump, we worry about this one, we worry about all these world demonic leaders. Christ is sovereign over the world. Read Psalm 2 when you get a chance. And just as he fulfilled his purpose through the cross, the redemption of souls, he He will fulfill his purpose concerning the end of the age when he comes back for his church and destroys his enemies. Back in our text, the disciples still had no idea who the betrayer was. They thought Jesus said to Judas, do it quickly so he would buy what was needed for the feast or give something to the poor, which was traditionally done at Passover since he carried the money. Judas was a thief too. He used to help himself, the scriptures tell us, to the money bag. That's why Brian and I never carried the money bag. We don't want to get accused of fraud. So the disciples' lack of discernment, Jesus' final attempt to extend his love for Judas as he dips the bread and hands it to Judas. Judas receives the bread but rejects Christ's final bit of salvation. Satan enters him and he leaves immediately. And John tells us it was night. Now, we should never skip over things like it was night. It was the darkness of Judas's heart. And I'm sure John made a point of saying that because it had a deeper significance than the time of day. Judas refused the light of Christ. All that was left was utter darkness, the blackest of darkness for Judas. And soon, just a few hours the world would experience the darkness of hell surrounding Jesus Christ as he hangs on the cross and screams out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Into their hands I commit my spirit. That was a very dark day. That was the darkest day in human history. And that's funny, but didn't Judas know that Jesus would have taken his darkness of his soul in exchange for his eternal glorious light? No, he would not have it. Having seen his miracles, he saw him heal the sick. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him preach with amazing power and authority. He saw the light of the world dispel the darkness in the lives of sinners. And he still willfully, willfully remained in darkness. Nothing was left for Judas except a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of Christ, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. That was a sad turn of events that took place that night as we conclude. And why this account of John's gospel should trouble all of us is because people still betray and reject. Not you and me. Not believers from the first century until now. But they betray and reject the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Please listen carefully. Judas was closer to God's revelation than most, but still rejected it. People today are close to the revelation of God. They go to Bible studies. They go to church, prayer meetings, but still can betray and reject Christ. Dr. Gary Berg, from his commentary, says this, Judas is a parable and a warning. We read his story as insiders, thinking it depicts someone else. But Judas is is a more disturbing figure than Pilate, or Caiaphas, or any of the Jewish leaders. He saw the light and understood it, but chose the darkness anyway. Dr. Berg goes on to say, as he quotes D.L. Bartlett, Judas is the reminder that every day is judgment day, and that on any day some faithful follower, like Judas, or like you and me, might turn tail on the light and stumble out into darkness, caught up by evil's prince. It's very sobering. And I know we don't want to accept that. We don't want to believe that. that I can be the one that maybe one day would betray Christ. doesn't mean you're going to betray Christ. But this is what it means. Understand the depth of the sin in our life. We, we, we hold to the five points of Calvinism in this church. And one of the points is total depravity. It doesn't mean that we will do the, the most heinous sin like Hitler or Judas, but it means that we have the potential. We hold the potential in a sinful heart that could, is capable of doing anything. Now, if we were a genuine Christian, we're not. We're going to be progressively free from sin. But never underestimate the power of sin in our heart. As I said earlier, we should never stick our noses in the air and say, I would never do what, Ju- what Judas did. Paul warns the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He says, therefore, let any one who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Peter. Peter, who became a pillar in the church and wrote two epistles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He was one of the founders. He denied and betrayed Christ three times. Let me ask you, as I have asked myself, how many times have you betrayed Christ? 
I betrayed him more times than I'd like to admit. So then what's the difference, you might be asking, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? Why did Judas end up in hell, the son of perdition, and Peter in heaven? Judas turned to suicide, never repented, never had genuine repentance. He never had the godly sorrow. I know if Judas repented and turned to Christ, Christ would have forgiven him, but he never did. Peter, one of God's elect, turned to Christ in repentance and received forgiveness. Peter was restored by Christ. Do you and I feel the sting of guilt of betraying the very one we love? Do you? Could you be honest? That's good. Turn to Jesus as I have done so many times and receive his unconditional forgiveness. Satan wants to sift you and me as wheat as he did to Peter. But rest assured, Christ is interceding for us. And you know what's interesting? God's work was deep in the upper room for his disciples. It was a turning point for them. This is when Jesus' public ministry ended. The Jewish nation as a whole rejected him. And now he's ministering to his twelve. And it was the turning point for them. But that's where Satan's attacks are more pronounced. When God through Christ is doing the greatest work in our hearts, Satan is right there, like a roaring lion seeking to devour us in the form of an angel of light. And I've experienced that many times when I sense God doing a great work in my heart and demonic activity was right there. Would I give in and betray Christ? Or would I reject the powers of darkness? I wish I could say I always rejected the powers of darkness, but I can't say that. But I thank God that as he's sanctifying me, it's getting less and less and less. We being, the true Christian is being progressively free from sin. And one day, we will be free from the presence of sin altogether. I'm looking forward to that day. But I can say this with assurance. God's loving kindness always leads me to repentance like he did with Peter. And he'll do the same for you. We may betray Christ, but hear this. Christ will never, never betray us, his bride, his church. That you can, you can bank your eternal soul on. And as Christians, you and I will be betrayed. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 21 and 22, he said, Brother will, be, will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the negative part of this text. But there's an eternal positive one. And as I said earlier in a question form, but now I'm going to say, as a statement of fact, even, I said, could the betrayal of Christ, now I'm saying it as a, as a fact, even the betrayal of Christ fulfilled God's purpose and brought him glory. And there's much more we can say and apply to our lives from this text. But I'm going to end with a quote from Dr. MacArthur's commentary. When Judas sold Jesus to his enemies, 
He was in effect selling his own soul to the devil. In the words of the poet, still as of old, men by themselves are priced. For 30 pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ. And as I end this message and we get ready for the Lord's Supper, let's reflect on the biblical fact that in this text, we go from negative to positive, in that Jesus allowed Jesus. Judas to betray him so that you and I today could come around his table and experience the forgiveness of our betrayals.